Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, we'll continue, of course, our study of the, the Gospel of Luke. And in this study, we're seeing Jesus presented as the, as the perfect man, the Messiah, the Savior, and the Christ. He is the one who comes to the earth to die on the cross and rise again to pay for sin and to conquer death. He indeed is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As we continue this morning, we are finding Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. We'd say, why? Because he's going to die and rise again. He's going to come as the Savior of the world. As we look at our passes, Jesus is teaching the crowds. In fact, we're going to see there's a whole bunch of people there, and then as he teaches the crowd, then he goes into a synagogue. So there's a lot of things there. He's been in opposition with these religious leaders. They hate him. In fact, if they could, they would kill him. That's one of the things they would like to do. We realize at this time the nation of Israel, now listen carefully, at this time the nation of Israel has not believed in Jesus as Messiah. In fact, when Jesus said, who do the people say that I am? Peter and them looked at him and said, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Jeremiah or, you know, one of the prophets or something like that. Nobody was saying that he is the Messiah. So as a whole, as a nation, the Jewish people did not or not at this time, especially not believing in him as Savior and Messiah. They're rejecting him. As we look at this passage this morning, Jesus is going to talk basically to the nation of Israel. And we're going to see he gives a charge, charged by Jesus, to repent. We'll talk about what that means in a minute, and he's going to deal with it individually, individual Jewish people. We'll talk about making application, and then nationally, as a nation, as a people. What does it mean? What does the word repent mean? How does this all fit together, and how does this tie together when we think about salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. How does this tie together? May, may we gain an understanding of these great truths as we go through our passage. Well, let me begin with this. When you hear the word repent, what do you think of? What does the word mean to you? There are a lot of people that immediately, as soon as they hear the word, they think it means to turn from sin. They say, okay, to repent means to turn from sin. In fact, there are a lot of people who say, well, I think the Bible teaches that we're to repent of our sins, which means turn away from our sins. What does the word repent mean? Well, there are a number of views. Let me just give you this. Some people think that the word means to turn from sin. That repent, repent means to go the opposite way, like you're going one way, and so it means to turn around and go the other way. And they would say that what you need to do is stop sinning, to give up sins or to turn away from sins. There's a problem with this when people say you need to turn from sin to be saved, and that's what they use the word to mean. Do we trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, or do we turn away from sin to be saved? You realize that if we have to turn from sins, stop sinning in order to be saved, that's works for salvation. We'll talk more about it in a little bit. There's a second view that some people say it means to change your lifestyle. In other words, you've been, you've been living a certain way, you've got to stop doing certain things, especially sins. It could even reply, you know, it could be dealing with saved people, unsaved people. There's a third view, which is really the, right, the correct view, and that is repent means a change of mind. That's what it means. Literally, the Greek word is metaneo. Two Greek words put together, meta, which means after, naos, which means mind. It means an afterthought, aftermind, or a change of mind. When you see the word repent in the Bible, first of all, it, you will not find repent of sins in the Bible or repent of sin. Go ahead and get your concordance, whether it's New American Standard, NIV, New King James, King James, and look up repent of sins or repent of sin. You will not find it in there. The word repent literally means a change of mind. And whenever you see that, when you see it in the Bible, you have to go and look at the context. We're going to see in this context, in this flow, and in most of the times you see the word repent or repentance, it is dealing with the nation of Israel. It is Jesus or someone else calling the nation of Israel to change their mind about Jesus. 
He, they want them to see Jesus as the Messiah. They're not seeing Jesus as the Savior and Messiah. So to repent would be to change their mind and to see Jesus as Messiah and Savior. That's what he wants to do, and we're going to see it in here. Now, uh, in fact, when you see John the Baptist and Jesus in the early parts of the ministry, they say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind because the kingdom is here, because the king is on the earth. They were to see Jesus as Messiah and Savior. And if they'd seen that, they're talking about, okay, here's the king. They would change their minds. Now, if we use the word repent for salvation, I'll talk more about it a little bit later. If you say, well, how does repentance have to do with salvation? It would be a change of mind of whatever you're trusting. If you're trusting yourself or your good works or your baptism or anything, you need to repent, which would be a change of mind and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, we'll get into that a little bit more later, and I'll show you. But you always have to see the word repent in the context that is in the passage. So, Jesus tells this morning... Jewish people, both individually and nationally, corporately, and that whole thing, that they must repent or perish. And we'll talk about what he means. We'll see this as we go through the passage. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Why? So he could die on the cross, pay for sin, and rise again. He has come to be the substitute and the sacrifice for our sins. He has been teaching, and as we go through this passage, some people come up to him, and they make this point. They're hoping that Jesus will do something. They, they've got an idea. They're wanting to, to challenge him, you might speak, and Jesus challenges them back, and he says something. He does that all the time. You know, they've got an idea. They're going to come up, and they're going to try to do something with Jesus, and they say something to him, then he says something back to them, and then they go, uh-oh. What do we do now? Because he gets them back. I mean, he knows how to do it. He knows what to say, and he challenges them. Well, we're going to see that both individually and nationally, the idea is to repent in this little passage. Let me show you the, the breakdown of the passage for you. First of all, the first part of the passage is repent or perish. That's what he says. He talks about it individually. That's verses 1 through 5. He gives two examples. And then we're going to see nationally, because there's a fig tree in this passage. The fig tree represents the nation of Israel. We'll talk about it as we go through it. Then we see an opportunity here for Jesus to show the nation of Israel who he is. He heals this crippled woman. First of all, we see the healing. And then as we continue in the passage, the response by the leaders, what do they say? And then Jesus gives his answer, and we'll see that. So there's a lot in the passage. We'll go through it fairly quickly, but I just want you to see it. Um, the charge to repent. Now, let me remind you again, the word repent literally means to change your mind. And you need to see how it fits. Is he talking to the nation of Israel to change their mind about Jesus as Messiah? In salvation, we might change our mind about whatever we're trusting or how we look at a certain thing. That's how it fits together. We'll see it more later on how all these things fit together. Well, they come to Jesus. And let me tell you what they want to do. Pontius Pilate is the governor of Judea. He rules the Jewish people. He's been appointed by the Romans. He's an evil man. These people come to Jesus, and they're trying to trick him. They want him to say something bad about Pilate. If he says something bad about Pilate, they might can get Jesus arrested. Now, just remember this, that the average guy doesn't know anything. The religious leaders want Jesus dead. The religious leaders sometimes put other people up to things, and they'll say, go ask him this, go tell him this. They're trying to trick Jesus. Watch what happens in this passage. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him, reported to Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, you have to see where we are. It starts off and says, Now on the same occasion. What occasion? Well, it's what we studied last week. If you remember, Jesus had been teaching them 
that the Messiah, that he was here as the Messiah, and that they could look at the nature and they could tell when it's going to be a storm and when it's going to be hot, but they're missing him as Messiah. And he told them that there's going to be a judgment one day, and if they don't believe in him as Messiah, there's going to be a judgment coming. Then it goes on to say, on this same occasion, same point, there were some present who reported to him, who came to him and they told him something. They reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, what are we talking about? Galileans are people who live in the northern part of Israel. Israel is divided into three parts, Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. Galilee was around the Sea of Galilee. Samaria was the middle part, had those half-Jew, half-Gentiles called the Samaritans, which the Jewish people didn't like, and the southern part was called Judea. That's where Jerusalem was. Now, some Galileans, it says some Galileans had been killed. It said their blood had been mixed with their sacrifices by Pilate. What is he talking about? You remember Pilate was the governor of Judea appointed by Rome, evil man. He Sometimes he would help the Jews if it was to his advantage. Most of the time he liked to hurt the Jews if he could. And here's what, the best that we can understand. There were some Jewish people from Galilee had come to Jerusalem, and it, obviously it was probably Passover because that was about the only time that a, a regular person could offer a sacrifice. They would sacrifice the lambs for the Passover lamb. What best that we can tell it happened, they were offering their sacrifices, killing the animals, blood of the animals was being shed, and Pilate had Roman soldiers come in and kill these people. So their blood was shed with the blood of their sacrifices. That's what he's talking about. So it says, on that same occasion, there were some from present who reported to him. They told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, this is horrible. There are a number of places you can find in recorded history where Pilate killed Jewish people. There are many times he did that. Pilate is killing Jewish worshipers. Now, what they wanted to say is when they came to Jesus and said that, they expected Jesus to say, that Pilate is a bad man. And then they could get him for talking about a, a leader, a Roman leader. And they thought they could get him into trouble. That's what they're hoping he's going to do. Now, of course, Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, he raises a question to them. He puts them on the spot. So look what he does. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all of the Galileans because they suffered this fate? He didn't even deal with the issue of Pilate. He just said to them, says, You know, do you think those people who were killed by Pilate and their blood was shed with their sacrifices. Do you think they're worse than all the other Galileans? Because see, sometimes people thought that if something bad happened to you, and some people even think that today, if something bad happens to you, you must have done something bad. You must be worse than somebody else, so that bad thing wouldn't have happened to you. And so Jesus looks at them and says, Do you think these Galileans who got killed, you think they were the worst of all the Galileans? You think they were worse than everybody else? You know, there's a truth that every one of us in this room have sinned and come short of God's glory. We've all sinned. And we all deserve to die and to be separated from God. One sin, one sin separates us. What are we going to do? Well, he raises the question. He says, you think they're the worst sinners? Well, look at the answer, verse 3. I tell you, no, they're not. And then he says something that caught them off guard. But unless you repent, you will all likewise Perish. Now, this is not what they thought he was going to say. He says, unless you repent. Now, remember, repent means a change of mind. He tells these people, unless you change your mind, you also will die. You're going to perish. 
The idea there was not only would they die physically, but they're going to die spiritually. He says, you must change your mind. He's saying, you've got to change your mind about who you think I am. Because if you don't, you're going to perish. Because all people must believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. That's how we have eternal life. He tells them, you need to change your mind about how you're seeing me. Because let me tell you, Jesus came and he did miracles and he did all of these things. And the Jewish people, as we saw last week, they could tell when it's going to be hot. And they could tell when a storm was going to come. But they're missing all the, the Messiah. And so Jesus said, unless you change your mind about me, you're going to perish. Now that's a strong statement, but it's true. And the same for every one of us in this room. If you have never changed your mind about who you believe that Jesus Christ is, if you have never trusted in Him, you will perish. In this context, He's telling these Jewish people they need to see Him as the Messiah and the Savior. They must change their mind. John 3.16, the famous verse, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not what? Perish, but have eternal life. To change the mind for these Jewish people, it was to see Jesus as the Messiah and Savior and to believe in Him. For all of us, we need to change our mind about whatever you're trusting. Some people are trusting in their good works to go to heaven. Some people are trusting in church, being baptized, whatever it is. If you're going to use the word repent, you need to use it in the proper way, and that is to change your mind about whatever you're trusting. Let me give you my story. I never went to church... I went to church once when I was six and once when I was 12. When I went off to college, if you'd said to me, JB, do you think you're going to heaven? I would have said, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Why? Well, because I've done more good than bad. In fact, I've done a lot more good than bad. Every time I do a bad, I do a couple of goods. Because, see, one of these days, you're going to stand before God, and he's going to be a big scale, and he's going to say, JB, did you do more good than bad? If you did more good than bad, you get to go to heaven. If you didn't do more good than bad, you, you, you go to hell. That's what I believed. I wandered into a Bible study one night and I heard the truth that the wages of sin is death. It's not good works. See, I thought, how do you pay for a bad? You do come goods, but you don't. The wages of sin is death. And that night I also heard the truth about Jesus Christ, how he died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again. And if you'll trust in him, you'll have eternal life. Guess what I did that night? I changed my mind about what I had been trusting, which was my good works, and I trusted in Jesus Christ. That's repentance that deals with the issue of salvation. Now, most of the time in the Bible, when the word repent is used, it's usually dealing in a Jewish context where they're telling the nation of Israel to change their mind about Christ. If we're going to use the word in its biblical uses, it would be for us to change our mind about Christ or whatever we're trusting and put our faith in Christ as Savior. So here's my prayer. If you're trusting anything other than Jesus, if you're trusting in going to church or being good or getting baptized or trying to keep the Ten Commandments or just trying to live a good life, if you're trusting that to get you to heaven, you need to change your mind right now and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to heaven except through Him. That's repentance. I want you to understand something. When the Bible is dealing with the nation of Israel, a lot of times you'll see repent, especially in the Gospels. But when you see the Gospel of John, which was written primarily not to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles, you find in there 98 times to believe. Because that's what we do. We believe in Jesus Christ. You understand that in the Gospel of John, the word repent is not found at all. 
So repentance is primarily dealing with nation of Israel. Although if we were going to use it, we would say, I need to change my mind about whatever I'm trusting. So he tells them, if you, if, he said, I, I tell, say to you, unless you repent, talking to, to these Jewish people, unless you change your mind, you will perish. And then he gives a second illustration. Look at it. He says, do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, they were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? Gives another example. He says, what about those 18 people that tower fell on and killed them? Do you think they were worse than everybody else? See, obviously the pool of Siloam is near the southeastern part of, of, of Jerusalem. It's near the fountain gate. There was a tower there. Now, either while they were building the tower, it fell and 18 people were killed, or even after they built it, the tower fell and 18 people were killed. And so he says, do you think those 18 people, who the tower fell on them and killed them, they were worse than everybody else? What's the answer going to be? The answer is going to be no, of course not. Notice verse 5. I tell you no, but unless you what? Repent. Unless you change your mind, you will all likewise perish. Unless you change your mind, you will perish. For every one of us in this room, if you're trusting in self, our good works, our baptism, anything other than Jesus, we will perish. You trust in Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Him. He's the Savior. We cannot save ourselves. We must stop trusting anything other than Jesus. Walter Wangren writes this. He says, In Jesus, the unrighteous are given righteousness by faith. It's the free gift. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus Christ has done. From this, he then addresses the nation, and he uses a parable to do it. And the parable deals with a fig tree, and the fig tree represents Israel. And he's going to say, Israel is like a fruitless tree. They have no fruit because they rejected me. They're missing me. That's what he's going to say. Watch this. And then he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which he'd planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and he didn't find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? Now, here's this parable, and it's about a fig tree which represents the nation of Israel. Because that's, you know, if you go back in Isaiah chapter 5, the nation of Israel is a vineyard. Sometimes they're a fig tree, sometimes they're a vineyard. And their idea is they're fruitful, fruitless. And so he says, I have this fig tree, which is his people, and there's no fruit on it because they've rejected him. And so a man comes out and looks at the fig tree and says, you know, I can't find any fruit on it. I've been coming out here for three years. I think we just ought to cut it down. Judgment's coming. Now notice he says this. He began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which he planted in the vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it. So he came out there. Now, let me tell you about the, the fig trees, especially in Israel. When you planted it, it would go for, it was three years before it ever produced any fruit. So if you planted a fig tree, you wouldn't come out first year, second year, or third year. You'd come out in the fourth year to see if there's any fruit. He says he's come out for three years. So he came out the fourth year, the fifth year, and the sixth year. By this time, it should have had fruit all over the place. By this time, the nation of Israel should have realized who Jesus is. He's the Messiah and the Savior, but they missed him. He's done every miracle, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. He's done every miracle, every sign he was supposed to do, and they've missed him. So he says, I've been coming to you, and I look for the fruit, nothing. So here's what he says. He says, I've been coming out here for three years looking for the fruit on the fig tree. I don't find any. Just just cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? Now, when he says cut it down... There's a judgment coming, and there is a judgment coming for the nation of Israel. We'll talk about it in just a second. 
Someone says, the, the vineyard keeper says this, and he answered and said to him, Leave, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it, I put in fertilizer, and if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. Now all he's saying is, give them a little more time before the judgment. And that's what Jesus is doing. You realize it's close now. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It's not going to be very many months from now that he'll be crucified and put to death. And he still doesn't judge them. He dies. He rises again. He walks on the earth for 40 days. He ascends back to heaven. The church age begins. And 30, 40 years pass before he brings the judgment on his people. And in A.D. 70, Titus, the Roman general, came in and leveled Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. That was judgment on the nation of Israel. They were scattered, and they were scattered from that time until 1948. Judgment on his people. He said, cut it down. And the guy said, no, let's give it a little more time, and then if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, we'll cut it down. Now, by the way, in verse 9 when he says, if it bears fruit next year, this is amazing because there's two ifs in the Greek here. In verse 9 it says, and if it bears fruit next year, that's a third class if that says if, maybe it will, maybe it won't. And then he says, but if not, cut it down. That's a first class if. If, and it's true, it will not, we will cut it down. He gave them time to bear fruit, but they're not going to. Israel did not believe in Jesus in his first coming as Messiah. They rejected him. Now, I want to remind you of something. When Jesus came the first time to his people... Jewish people. He offered himself as Messiah and King, and they rejected him. He died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, sent into heaven. He's going to come take us out one of these days. That's the church. And then according to Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, he will then deal with the nation of Israel during a time called the tribulation. And during the tribulation, the nation of Israel will believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah. Revelation chapter 7, 144,000 Jewish people, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, believe in Jesus, and many Jewish people believe in him. They will call upon him. He comes down the second time as the king of kings, and he delivers his people. One day, nation of Israel will believe in Jesus. That's at his second coming. At his first coming, they missed him. At his second coming, they believe in him. He says... If it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. There's going to be the judgment, but one day they will believe. Now, he's going to give them more time. And what we're going to see, and I'm going to show it to you very quickly, he's going to, he's going to heal this woman. Now, why does he heal this woman? What does that have to do with this? Because that's what the Messiah did. Isaiah 35 said when the Messiah would come, people would be healed. We're going to find this woman that has a disease that she's been bent over for eight years and Jesus heals her and what should have happened when he healed her is that Israel as a nation should have said he's the Messiah look what happened who else can do that that's not what happens look at the passage verse 10 he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. Now, he's teaching in the synagogue. And the synagogue, of course, was a place that they met. The Greek word synagogues means a gathering together. Jewish people would come to the synagogues. They would come on the, on the Sabbath day, which is Saturday. They work six days, rest on the seventh, first day of the week, Sunday, last day of the week, Saturday. 
And they would come on Saturday on the Sabbath day and they would have teaching and worship time. Jesus goes in there teaching. Oftentimes people are misunderstood. They think Jesus just went around telling stories. Jesus went teaching the scripture. Notice what the verse says. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now he's there and look what happens. There was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double. And she could not straighten up at all. You know what she looked like? This is what she looked like. This is how she walked. 18 years. How you doing? Not so good. You know, I'm okay, but not so good. Can you imagine that? Would that be a great life? It says she had a sickness by a spirit. It indicates in this passage that there was demonic activity that had pushed her over like this. And so here she is for 18 years. You want to go through life like that? She's come to worship God. She is a believer in the Messiah. We'll see it in the passage. Look what happens. There was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit. She was bent double, could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. Now, there's several things here. I want you to understand that most likely in the synagogue, there was a man called the Arch of Synagosis, which was the ruler of the synagogue. He's kind of in charge. Jesus is at the synagogue that day. He's been doing teaching. That means he's up front. We find this lady, and most likely she's in the very back. She, first of all, women were not to sit where the men were. And second is, she would not be up front because she's like this. She doesn't want to go up there. She just wants to be left alone. And what does Jesus do? He calls her to come over. Some people say, what's he trying to do, embarrass her? I mean, she's going to come up like this in front of all these people. It's been a tough life as it is. He's going to make a public disgrace of her? No, he's not. When he saw her, he called her over and he said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. Now, this word freed is really unique, and I want you to listen to it because you're going to hear it more in a minute. He said, You are loosed from your sickness. That's the word that he used. He word, used the word loosed. We're going to come back to it in a minute. But it's in what they call the perfect tense in Greek, which means it happened at a point in time with the results that go on forever. Once this woman is healed, she's never going to be bent double again. Never. See, when Jesus heals, he does the whole thing. Watch what happened. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. Watch. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. Now, I want you to notice something. Were men supposed to touch women? They were not. It says he laid his hands on her. He touches this woman who's been over, and he touches her, and immediately she goes, Whoa, this is a people have faces. I, you know, this is the first time I've seen all this in 18 years. I've been bent double all this time. It is amazing to be able to see around me. And what did she do? She began glorifying God. God gets the glory. Now, what should have happened then? The Jewish people should have said, who could do this except the Messiah? He's got to be the Messiah. Look what happened. But they don't. And I want you to see the response. And here's one of the religious leaders. Notice what it says. Verse 14 starts with but. But, in contrast to her glorifying God, but the synagogue official indignant, that means angry, angry because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. 
Now, this person's called Archesinagosis. He was the third most important person in Israel. The first was the high priest, followed by the chief priest, and then followed by the rulers of the synagogues. Every synagogue had, and there were a number of synagogues all over Israel, the synagogue had the Archesinagosis, the leader. He's a very powerful religious leader. When he sees Jesus do this, instead of saying, this man's the Messiah, he's mad. He's mad. You know why? Look at this right here. He doesn't care about the person. He cares about his rules, not biblical rules. Jesus did nothing wrong. Healing this woman on the Sabbath was nothing wrong with that. But he's mad. And I want you to notice what he does. The synagogue official indignant, angry, grieved, upset. That's what the word means. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying notice to the crowd in response. He doesn't talk to Jesus. He doesn't say, hey, 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 you're not supposed to be healing on the Sabbath. He's not going to face Jesus. He looks out at the crowd and says, what are you people doing? He said, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. You know what he's actually saying to this woman? You came on the wrong day. There are other days you should have come Monday through, you know, uh, Sunday through, and here you are on Saturday. What do you think you're doing? There are six other days that you could be healed. Don't come in here on this day. That's what he says. He's not going to say anything to Jesus. He's saying it to the crowd. And he's saying it to that woman. And if I was that woman, I'd say, I don't care what day it was. I'm feeling a lot better. Right? He doesn't care about that person. He didn't see Jesus as Messiah. He only saw the rules and the legalism of the nation. This was an opportunity for the nation of Israel to repent to change their mind but they did not look what happens jesus answered him and said you hypocrites does not each of you on the sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him now i want you to notice this the hypocrites you hypocrites it's plural he's not just talking to this guy he's talking to the nation of israel he's talking to the people and he's saying you hypocrites don't you on the sabbath day go out and get your donkey and your ox and you take them and give them water don't you loose them and give them water notice what it says he says uh, you hypocrites does not eat you in the Sabbath, untie, loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water. And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, that means she's a believer, and she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released, loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? You understand why I used that word a while ago? Be loosed from this? Because he knew what was going to happen. He said, just like you loose one of your animals and take them and give them water, should not this woman be loosed from this bondage on this day? And, of course, the answer is yes. Look at the response at the end. As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over the glorious things being done by him. The, re the religious leaders, the opponents, they're not happy. They're not happy that Jesus might be the Messiah. They're rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. And so what do we have? The leaders are humiliated, and there's joy in the crowd. It's powerful. Jesus comes with a message of repentance, a change of mind. The Messiah is here, both individually and nationally, for the nation of Israel. And here's the question, how much longer does the nation have? Not much longer. 
We've seen the questions about Pilate and the Galileans. And Jesus said, you must repent or perish. He gives the parable of the fig tree, which is the nation of Israel. He's given the nation of Israel more time to believe. He heals this woman on the Sabbath so that the nation of Israel could see who he is. And they still reject this humiliation for the leaders and joy to the crowd. Let me tell you, let's, let's think about application. Here's the first one. All must repent or perish. Now, remember this. A, repent means a change of mind. That's what it means. For this passage in this context, it was for the nation of Israel to change their mind about Jesus and see him as Messiah and believe in him as Messiah because that's salvation. Salvation is by faith. I mean, you can change your mind, but that doesn't mean you're saved. You can change your mind about saying, okay, I've changed my mind. My baptism won't save me. I'm changing my mind. I think my good works will. So just changing mind doesn't save you. To change your mind is to say, I'm not going to trust my works. I'm going to trust in Jesus. That's how we use it in this. All must repent or perish. Repent means a change of mind. Every person must trust Jesus Christ as Savior. That's the way to have eternal life. He died and rose again and gives eternal life to all who believe. It is not our works. It is not our goodness. We must change our minds about whatever we're trusting and trust in Christ. See, there are eternal results to our decision. If you believe in Jesus Christ... You have eternal life and you're saved and saved forever. If you reject Jesus Christ, you'll be separated from God forever. That's the truth. That's from the Scripture. That's how that fits. Now, there's a second thing I want you to do from this is understand God's plan for the nation of Israel. These are the people that he chose, began with Abraham to Isaac to to Jacob. And he, he used these people to give us the Word of God. He used these people to give us the Messiah and the Savior, Jesus Christ. But understand, A... The nation rejected the Messiah. When Jesus Christ came the first time to die on the cross to pay for sin, the nation of Israel rejected him. That's what he's talking about. He's told them they need to change their mind and believe in him. They did not. They're the fig tree with no fruit. They've rejected him. They crucified him. He died and rose again. B. God has set them aside. He's taken the nation of Israel. He is not through with them. He's taken the nation of Israel and set them aside. He's taken the body of Christ, the church, which is us, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. We've come together in the body of Christ, and he's using us now. One of these days, he's going to take us out. It's called the rapture. We'll be gone. And then God will use his people again. That's C. In the future, the nation will believe in Jesus and be used again. If you study the book of Revelation, in my Sunday school class, we're looking at the seven last things in the book of Revelation. If you study the book of Revelation, you will find that in there, the nation of Israel during the tribulation turns to Jesus Christ and they believe in him and he uses it. Uh, whatever happened to it? They use, did it go off? Can we, can we put it back up? Is that possible? In the future, the nation is going to believe in Jesus and he's going to use them again. God has not cast away his people. So if you get a chance, you can read Romans 9, 10, and 11, those three chapters that shows how God is dealing with the nation of Israel. They are his people. They will always be his people. And in this context, he wants them to repent, change their mind, and believe in him as Messiah. May we urge all people to change their minds about whatever they're trusting and trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for salvation. He is the only Savior for all people, including the nation of Israel. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. And Lord, help us to understand that, that if people do not change their mind, using the word repent in that way, that if they don't change their mind about whatever they're trusting and trust alone in Jesus Christ, they will be separated forever. Lord, we know that, that their eternal results, whoever believes in Christ has eternal life, whoever does not believe in Jesus Christ will be separated forever. Lord, I pray that we'll also understand the plan that you have for your nation and how when, they, when you came the first time, that they rejected the Messiah, Savior, and he has set them aside. But one day, they as a people group, they will believe in the Messiah and the Savior, and they will have eternal life as well, and they will call upon the name of the Lord, and they will be delivered from their enemies. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, help us that as we go into this community, that we will tell people the good news about Jesus Christ and that they will trust in him as Savior. And if they need to, they will change their minds about whatever they're trusting, and they will put their faith in Jesus Christ. Is their Savior. Lord, thank you for a great morning. We ask this in Jesus' name.